Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I am pumped to have you guys listening today uh, to the first edition of a new series. Uh, uh, if you guys have listened to the podcast, you know I've had um, two series so far. One called my Founders Series, which was the first one where it's still ongoing, but I have founders uh, across different industries talking about their startup companies and really getting into their businesses. I've also done an athlete series where I've had athletes on the podcast talking about how they've taken, you know, a hobby, a passion and turned it into a career. And I'm pumped today to have my first guest of my third series, the Angel series. And this is all based around angel investing. So one thing that came out of my founder series was that there's a lot of questions, a lot of interest around, you know, how people um, find angel investments, when's the right time to do angel investing, um, and just wanting to learn more about angel investors themselves. So today I have James Sowers on the podcast. Uh, he, again, is the first one I'm going to have on here for my angel series. He's a very known uh, angel investor. Forbes named him one of the top 25 angel investors. Um, he's had a couple of great success stories in personal investing, which I think a lot of you will resonate with. Uh, that we get into. And he also is a big believer and honestly, an industry expert in uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, over the last three years, he's really doubled down in his angel investing. He's now an angel investor in over 80 private companies uh, with, with seven that have already done ex public, ex not public, but they've exited in some way, shape or form. Um, so he really is a a a guru, I will say, in the angel investing space. Um, James and I had a really fun podcast. I'm recording this right after. Uh, he is very lively. He's got a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, and I really loved having him on. Um, I think you guys will love this episode and would love to know what you think. Would love to do more of these if this is um, you know, something that people are into. Uh, I had a blast, and, and thank you, James, for coming on. So without further ado, Please welcome James Sowers to the show. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am pumped today to have James Sowers on the podcast, angel investor, expert in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and lots of other cool stuff that we're going to jump into. James, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for the kind introduction and thanks for having me on the podcast. A hundred percent, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a busy time of year. Um, would you mind giving the listeners just a little intro to yourself and a little bit of your background? Sure. So I'm actually adopted from South Korea and back in the um, 70s, there was this thing called Catholic Charities. So uh, my parents were in Baltimore, Maryland, and it was really inexpensive to adopt a child, probably because it was through Catholic Charities. Nowadays, people choose kids and they have to pay 30K or 300K, depending on how they choose. But it was about 300 bucks, and that paid oh, wow. for a flight to New York for my parents, me to be flown over from South Korea and some kind of vaccinations, and then to be flown back to Baltimore. And it was Catholic Charities, so it was probably some donated money. So there may have been some yeah. more cost than that. And $300 was probably a lot more money back then, you know, than it is today, but still not like 30000 sure, or 300000 yeah. So I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I mean, I don't know if how many of the listeners are familiar with Baltimore, Maryland. It's kind of an inner city. I mean, it's a great place to grow up. You can build great relationships, 
but it's also working class, you know, some, some tougher environments. But the one thing I learned as a child, I used to walk to the library and read books about baseball players and business people at the Rockefellers and Carnegie's. If you can change your way of thinking, then you can escape your environment and you become basically what you think about most of the time. I actually read ah. books about that kind of thing. So I, we didn't have a lot the money when I was growing up, but I used to find pennies on the ground and pick them up. And I always say, that's how you form your habits. Because even to this day, I have people that are friends who make fun of me. Why are you picking up these pennies now? I was like, it's a penny more than I had. You know, as long as you're not reaching yeah. in front of a car or a steamroller. And I used to <laughs> save up the pennies to get 25 cents and buy these little swimsuit card packs. I think they had 12 in a pack. And I would sell them for whatever I can, at least 25 cents a card, and then just reinvest the profit. So I was kind of had my own little business without knowing it was a business. And people would oh, say you're wow. a little hustler. And it's interesting because back then people would say kids like that are going to be losers and not going to have jobs. Now, if a kid says that, they're like, that's the next Mark Zuckerberg. So it's totally incredible how the thinking has changed. Totally changed. And one thing I learned about reading about all these people, whether it be athletes, business people, that having a growth mindset and the ability to learn and adapt, even when you get knocked down, is really the key to anyone's success. Because even now, all through the years, I'll have success and I'll get knocked down some, I'll learn something, then I'll have some success and get knocked down something. And I think as long as you keep on going and increasing your sphere of luck, that's how finally good things will happen. Because really, there is a lot of luck involved. And I just think you have to put yourself in a position to be able to take advantage of luck. Got it. Oh, I love that. That's a, that's a takeaway right there in itself, right off the bat. Love it, James. Thanks. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, thank you for the, for the background and the intro. Um, you know, I was doing some research on you and a, well, a couple of things that stood up to me that I thought were really interesting. Um, number one, it's, you know, I, I wanted to get you on here and I wanted to talk to some angel investors on the show because, you know, I think some people that I've had reach out to me or like, how do I even like, if that's something I'm interested in, or I'm a startup company and I want to get funding, like how does an angel investor become an angel investor? And maybe that sounds like a simple, dumb question, but I think actually a lot of people would love to know how that is. So would you mind giving everyone, I know you've done a lot of different things, but how did you, I guess, a want, like how did, did one day you just realize like you want to start investing in other companies and then be like, how did you get to where you are? Like, how did you get into this space? Yes, so angel investing is an interesting thing because when I had first started about four years ago when I mainly did most of the investing, you had to be only accredited investors could invest in angel investing. But now they're kind of democratizing it where they have crowdfunding platforms under this thing called Regulation CF and even Reg A Plus where any individual can um, invest in startup companies that are on the platform. Oh. But it has to be through a regulated portal. But I have also been reading and hearing about the SEC has made some changes where certain people are like business professors or people who are real experienced in business, even if they don't technically fit the accredited investor qualification of old, they can still, they're thinking of a test or something that you can pass where you could make these investments because you have, you know, domain expertise or financial expertise or economics expertise. Right. But I really stumbled into it because what I was trying to do is try to find the next founders that are going to change it would be really great just to meet these people and work with these people and potentially invest in these people. And there was a big thing too. When I was in college, you could actually invest in companies in the public markets where the market caps are really low. They went to public to IPL, you know, in three to five to seven years. Now they're starting taking 10 to 12 to 15, 20 years. I've even seen companies that were probably right. 30 years going public. And I was like, wow, all the gains are already gone. And I understand why you would stay private much longer because you don't have to deal with all the reporting. And there was some kind of rule change when the Jobs Act came out that you could have more shareholders on the cap table 
and it didn't count the employees that you didn't have to do the reporting. Because it used to be it was a really small amount, including the employees, that you had to do the same filing. So, of course, you would go public. But there's also an enormous amount of compliance and audit costs if you go public. Because several of the companies that I had invested in had looked at it and going public quicker, because I'm always talking about how it's a great thing. And the lawyers would come back, you know, it's like seven to $10 million a year. And there's all this cost up front for the um, directors and officers of insurance for a public company, all this auditing. So it's not really, you got to weigh the cost benefit. But I think right. a lot of companies are realizing now, hey, some people waited too long because of COVID. Because a couple of companies that are really oh. great companies got in really tough spots because they weren't public yet and they should have went five years ago. Got it. And then COVID's made that more difficult to do. Right. And one thing that got me interested too into angel investing, because in 2013, I had um, gotten to Bitcoin. It's funny because I had discovered it before then, but it wasn't like now where you can Google Bitcoin and there's all these exchanges and stuff. It was all right. these re really off the wall ways to get in. And you're like, wow, this might be a scam. It might not be. And a lot of overseas exchanges. And I actually traded Forex once in my life. And I had learned, you know, it could be like a roach motel. You can get in, you can't get out. Now, some foreign exchanges <laughs> obviously are very reputable, but some of them aren't. And it's not even the exchange you got to worry about. What if there's a government close or a control or something right, that right. doesn't let you withdraw your money. So finally, it was called Coinsetter, which eventually got bought by Kraken because I believe they couldn't get a bit license. Is where I got my first Bitcoin. And it was really weird because when I, when I tried to get it, I put in the dollar amount and I got filled with all these different prices. So oh. it was like people say, what price did you buy Bitcoin at? And I always say anyone who said they got Bitcoin in the exact price, unless it was peer-to-peer -peer, like many years ago, it's just using their best price. Because I got filled between like this isn't exactly, but somewhere between 77 and $103 because wow. I got filled in different fractions of a Bitcoin. Sure. And it was actually my first almost 12 Bitcoin that to this day, I say, I'm always going to hold as an insurance. And I actually got it on a paper wallet because back then they actually had paper wallets you could get and put in a safety deposit box. So hopefully the thing doesn't wear out that you scan, but yeah. I did make a picture copy of it that still scans. So, so oh, it's, wow. it's interesting. And I kind of looked at it as an insurance just in case like the dollar ever collapses or we ever actually get hyperinflation. But who knows what really causes that? Because we haven't had inflation for 12 years with all this money printing. And it's yeah. always been my, my thesis that what causes in, in consumer prices is when cost inputs go up. So like when you raise the people's wages, then the retailers, of course, have to raise their prices. Right. Because okay. you know, they have more costs. Because I have all these people saying, oh, my God, we're having hyperinflation now. My food's going up during this COVID time because they're printing all this money. Well, also, they're paying hazard pay to the workers. So, of course, the prices has to go up. Got it. Because yeah, money okay. printing to me causes asset inflation. It goes into, you know, stock markets, real estate markets, you know, commodities markets, cryptocurrency markets. That that's where the hyperinflation is in assets. Okay. Got it. In ass yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. In, in that? It's, it's Yeah. Do you think that's been like, oh. I know I've had a lot of questions this year on like, <clears throat> has that been fueled through COVID because of, of like all of the money the government's been pumping in this year? Is, is like some of that become like an even bigger issue, you think? I think so. And it's interesting too, because one person who's an economist argues with me that um, inflation is just expanding the money supply. So we've had inflation in the last 12 years. I don't know if that's truly the textbook definition because everybody you ask says it's not, but I bet you at one time he's probably right. That was the definition. But what I always say is, where does the inflation go? So kind of common sense. So inflation to the average person is the stuff that they buy goes up. That's inflation. And that can be very personal. It might affect one person, but not another. So healthcare has obviously had massive inflation. Right. The cost right. of healthcare. 
and the cost of housing and the cost, you know, buying a stock, the assets in the market. So I, I kind of look at it that way. And the fact that the um, Fed and Treasury are now working as one because they're supposed to be separate entities and putting all this money into the system, it has to go somewhere. And I think the fact that we have zero to negative interest rates is a serious problem. And I always say you get more of what you incentivize. So you're, you're incentivizing people not to have money in cash and bank accounts because they might be paying fees or getting a negative interest rate or just getting zero or like almost zero. So of course they're going to go into stocks and things like that. And the younger generation, the millennials, and even I guess it's Generation Z, they call them, yeah, Z. they're in Robin Hood. Yeah. And a lot of them got the stimulus checks. And I, who knows if it's true, but the news reporting is they opened up accounts for exactly $1,200. And a lot of people opened up accounts for exactly $1,200 on Coinbase. So they had to put that money somewhere. And I have another thesis too. Like I was hearing some people that unfortunately, you know, they had to get unemployment because of their jobs. Some of the younger people's jobs were really low paying. They were actually getting more money being on unemployment than yeah. they were when they were working. So that excess money was going into it. And there was a number of people not paying rents. And you get this hashtag no pay culture where, like, where someone can pay or like, well, so-and-so don't got to pay. Then why the heck do I got to pay? And they started putting the money in stocks and cryptocurrencies <laughs> and things like that too. Oh, so yeah. So you kind of think that a lot of those different external factors have all funneled into the stock market and actually have driven a lot of the kind of oh, like- a hundred percent. And I think Robinhood, because now a lot of people don't realize a lot of trading on exchanges, most of it was done in dark pools. So it was off exchange. So now the retail Robinhood type trader and Robinhood could be TD Ameritrade, you know, or Schwab or sure, E-Trade yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. is 53% of the on exchange volume. And what happens is those companies like Robinhood, the reason you get 0% commission is, is because they sell the order flow. So these high frequency hedge funds see the order flow. They don't care if you want to buy it or sell it. They just front run you and it exaggerates the moves up and down. So if a stock catches momentum and becomes a cult stock, it just keeps climbing like step by step by step, kind of like walking the dog up the stairs. Oh, that's and how that... people start selling. It goes the other way. That's why you get these ridiculous moves in one day, 10%, 30%, 20% minutes. It's because the mechanics of the stock market, a lot of people understand the mechanics of public markets. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I didn't fully understand how that works either. So that, so you're saying that when, because so many more people are pushing orders through Robinhood, larger like hedge funds can see that movement no matter up or down and they can get ahead of you and place larger bids. Or larger orders? Well, no, the ones that are buying the order flow. So they see exactly what the order flow is, like how many shares are coming in. And they can buy it before you. And then they buy it for you know a, pe a penny less than you paid and then sell it to you. But it doesn't matter. It's oh. almost like a risk-free trade. But, but if they, they do that in volume, like millions of hundreds of millions of times, it starts adding up. There's a company called Vert2 Financial that publicly trades. And they um, do that. It's flash trading type thing. Whoa. Okay. There's a book about that called Flash Boys or something, I think by Michael Lewis I read years ago. Okay. So I'm very big into reading, I guess, as you got from my intro as a child. Yeah. To read all these different things, read the annual reports of public companies, because you learn so much. You can get like a Harvard education for free on the internet now. But even during when I was a kid, when you couldn't do that, you could get a Harvard education in business by reading all these things. Sure. If you use oh, critical yeah. thinking. That's another one of my big things too. Thinking for yourself and getting your own variant perception, non-consensus and right. Because I've kind of learned when 99% of the world thinks something, it's generally wrong oh okay yeah i love it no that's a good piece of feedback and you're right i mean there's so much information out there on the internet now it's crazy how much you can just absorb and i i tell people too that just want to get into investing and don't know where to start i always say that i'm like go read some earnings reports even listen in on some of the earnings calls because you can just like listen to the question the analysts are saying you can hear the executives give their responses it's, I, i've learned a lot just by listening to those um exactly it's so interesting and so I actually, I want to take a step back too, because as you know, to kind of give people a little more of a background into your background, James, I know um, I read something online and this is, I want to bring this up because I think 
people can connect with this in a, in a lot of ways. I talk about a lot on here consistency. And one thing I think of like when I think of Robinhood investors or retail investors in general, especially someone, people my age that listen to this um, that are just getting into investing. I always say like just consistently putting money in and building your portfolio and investing in things that you believe in. But kind of like what you mentioned before we started recording is interesting. And I think it's how you really over time can help grow uh, your portfolio. And so I read something online that you invested in uh, Hanson Natural, which later became Monster Beverage, of course. I couldn't find a ton of information besides the fact that you invested in it early on. But I was curious if you could kind of go into that story and explain to people how you like, number one, why you, why you bought it, why you held on to it, and then what happened. Okay, yes, yeah, so that's kind of an interesting thing because Hanson Natural, it was a publicly traded company, Hanson Natural. And remember right. how I talk about timing and luck? Right, right before that I just coincidentally had got in, they actually had a restructuring. So I, I don't know for sure, but I imagine the shareholders before that got wiped out. And, and Rodney Sachs' family had bought the company, and they were trading on NASDAQ. And I had this thesis that energy drinks are the cigarettes of my generation. Just like okay. now my new thesis, TikTok, is the cigarettes of the new generation. For sure, yeah, but, definitely. So I thought, wow, this is addictive. And actually I was drinking Red Bulls and stuff when I was 18, 19, and I was like – Red Bull's private, I guess. I can't find it. But back then, it wasn't like you just Google stuff. I mean, they might have had Google. I'm not sure if they did. But I went on AOL. And it was okay. a style-up modem at the library. And it would yeah, do the beep, beep, do, beep. Do, 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 yeah. And it would take like five minutes for you to get online. And on one day, just out of coincidence, it goes back to luck. I had this idea of Red Bull circulating in my subconscious. And we were at a 7-Eleven. And Red Bull was more expensive. My friend goes, hey, you ever drink this little hands and natural stuff? He goes, it doesn't taste as good, but it's like half the price. I was like, all right, let's try it. <laughs> So then we're drinking this, and then just one day I was thinking, Hanson Natural. Let's look that one up, energy drink, kind of like Red Bull. Let's see if that's public. And I found Hanson Natural Beverage Company, and I was like, okay. And I had been as a child saving up hustling, saving up money. I had about 40 or 50K, and, and I put wow. it on 10,000 in four stocks, opened up a brokerage account. I always wanted to when I was a child, but my parents didn't understand about uniform miners accounts and all that good stuff. Okay. And it wasn't like now. Now there's a lot of great things like fractional shares, which they didn't have. And I always right. encourage people who have kids that I know that reach out to me and say, hey, why don't you just have them open up this account and find companies they like? And buy like 12 companies, $5 each because it's no commission and just hold on to them. And, but don't just buy them because they like them. Have them do a little bit of research, listen to an sure. earnings call, yeah. read a little bit of a report or even just Googling on the internet. And then 12 things they like, just put it away and see what happens. Unfortunately, though, most people are lazy and be like, well, which, which 12 do you think we should buy? I like, that's not the whole point of it. Um, or just right. like people I went to high school with will be hitting me up whenever Bitcoin starts going up. Hey, should, should I buy Bitcoin and hold it for my kid's college account? I was like, I don't know. Should you? I mean, I'm not a registered investment advisor. What's your thesis? Why do you think, why do you like Bitcoin? What's your thesis? Oh, we just wanted to go up. We heard it might go to a million dollars. Do you think it go to a million dollars? They call it a share, even though it's a token. And right, I'm like, right, I don't right. know. Is it? What's your thesis? Is that even reasonable? What, what, what's the market cap versus, you know, the opportunity? Do you have any thesis at all? Because I have a thesis on it, but I base it on the market cap of gold, the market cap of silver, the gold silver ratio, whether institutions are comfortable, things like that, the adoption. Thing, things of that nature but they're just based they're just basically on gambling <laughs> okay, yeah right 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 i always tell people that i'm like if you don't if you don't have your own i like the, the thesis concept if you don't have your own thesis or at least your own game plan you're basically gambling it's not really any different um you know if you're not paying attention you're just throwing money at stocks that's all it really is but i think that's that's great i totally agree i always tell people on here i'm like you know if you can just find companies that you're interested in um that you you know believe in what they're doing you believe they're going to grow i always say too like if you this is really getting to the weeds, but if you, if you also look at the like executive team and start to understand where their backgrounds are, and that was like a Warren Buffett tip I got one time. Um, 
you know, that also gets you, if you're invested in companies you give a shit about, then you're also going to be paying attention to the, their news and the general business news a lot more. And it kind of gets addicting and you really start to get involved and you start putting more and more money into it and doing the right things. Um, so did you, and then when you bought Hanson, the uh, natural, I guess it was what it was called. Did you, you held on to it all the way until it turned into monster beverage or what did you end up doing with it? Well, 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 well past that. Here's the funny thing about that. A lot of people don't realize this. Hanson natural didn't go anywhere for like a decade. Even after I first got in, it actually went down some for a while, you know, and fluctuated like everything else in the market. Sure. And it took like a decade. I believe, I don't know the exact year, but I believe it was like around 2002 was when they changed their name to Mont to monster and it was or they, or they got the monster drink they may not even change their name yet i think it was actually later than that but they had the monster drink and it was because they did some kind of sponsorship i believe with motocross and they did that really cool monster symbol oh, yeah. because it was for the x gamers and the motocross that's right. when it really took off it didn't do anything for like a decade but the one reason that just out of pure luck you know, I held on because I used to read books about these guys like Shelby Davis, which I don't think it was actually in a book. I think back then they had periodicals in the library that were on these film things that you had okay. to scroll through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, you, that, that you had to scroll through. And there was some guy named Shelby Davis who, who knows what's true and what's reported and what's not. But supposedly he's the true Warren Buffett that had a $900 million wealth from just buying stocks and holding them. Because Warren Buffett, incredible investor, one of the greatest ever, but he has the benefit of the insurance float that we don't have. Yeah, I mean, imagine right. making, be able to make money. That's infinite leverage. I mean, incredible. Obviously, he's a very smart guy for taking advantages. But supposedly, this Shelby Davis guy got married and got something called a dowry with his wife that was like 50K, which back in the 50s or whenever that was, wow, late 40s, a was probably a fortune. But yeah. he, he had a thesis on insurance. That's how I also learned about theses, that insurance stocks were undervalued. So he bought them all on margin. Now, I didn't buy on margin when I was younger because I was afraid, you know, if there was like a crash or something, you could get wiped out. And I had a little bit of fear about that. But yeah. he bought on margin. And supposedly, by the time he passed away, his fortune was worth $900 million, And it would have been wow. more, but he ended up getting divorced. So he had to get half of it away. Oh, no. <laughs> so that really you know, sliced them in half. Yeah. It, would have, it would have been in the billions. So it's kind of interesting. But I always thought, you know, if you had a thesis, and I learned about too from reading about the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, that the true mega generational wealth is catching. I didn't know the word was tailwind that I use now. But catching like a, a trend and really holding it out and riding that trend. Sure. Got so it, it actually okay. wasn't until about – 2016, which was many years later, I guess that's 24 years later, that I started um, exiting some of it. And the only reason I did was because there was this rumor that Coke was going to buy him, and I was afraid it was going to be for stock. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want all this money in Coke stock. So, yeah. I, and of course, that never happened. They just took a position. So the rumor wasn't 100% true. And who knows, maybe they were talking about it. And I started selling some of that. And I did start using some of that for angel investing and things like that. And I already had the thesis about Bitcoin from 2013, about how the technology could be a zero, but could be revolutionary, like new internet of money. That was my thesis on that, money right. over IP, that um, I'll start taking a chance in some of these um, you know, startups and things like 3D printing and things like that, that I think could be the future. And you know, over time, you learn more and more because you could have the right thesis of the right sector, but if you build the wrong company, it's still going to be a zero. Right. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and that's probably, not true. And they're, and right. they're illiquid too, so it's... You know, you, you can't just get out when you realize you make a mistake, like in the public markets. Right. In the public markets, if the circumstances change. Another thing I learned, too, as a kid is reading about is opportunity cost, that the opportunity costs the money. I don't think you really, even though you read about it, they might even mention it like school, you don't really understand it until you're actually investing money. Right. Because this is another yeah. thing I tell people, too, when they ask. They're like, oh, I bought such and such a stock in 2008. And, you know, it's up 90%. And I was like, well, that's wonderful. But the opportunity cost of that money, if you're in the S&P, you might have, you know, 
five extra money almost, six X, yeah. I guess now at the current S&P. So actually that was a bad investment because it's relative to the opportunity cost. And I'll use like, you know, the stock market S&P 500 as the opportunity cost because I have a thesis near 70, 20, 10, 70% of your investing should be core, 20% complimentary and 10% other bets in public markets for young wait, people. So, wait, what was that again? What was the 70? So 70% core. So by core, core, I would say using like index funds or ETFs. And now there's a lot of great ETFs that have theses like ARC funds that are phenomenally outperforming. But the problem too is on the downside, they would underperform if the thesis goes wrong. But there's a great, so I would say like if somebody has $10,000 in their college and they want to start, they could put like 7,000 S&P, you know, ETF or index fund, maybe 2,000 in like the ARC funds. Because with 0% commissions, it's easy to do all this now. Right. And then the last, Ten last thousand dollars, they could just get a, you know diversifying into twelve, ten, twenty companies of things they like and use and believe in, or things that they have a thesis could change the world. Got it. Okay. Okay. It's so a seven twenty ten. I love it. Okay. Seven twenty ten. Yeah. 10. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That love way it, you no. can't mess up too bad, but you, but they're young enough that even if they mess up a little, over time the U.S. stock market has you know been on a trajectory upward. So as long as right. I believe with the reserve currency and the U.S. is the dominant one, it's probably always going to be that way because other right. markets haven't recovered since two thousand eight as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. Do you have, um, do you have advice for anyone listening who wants to get into investing on like cadence? So it's something I've talked about on here too, is like, are you someone who believes like you should just save up cash and dump it in when you have a certain amount? Are you, are you someone that kind of like wants people thinks it's better to like kind of just always be investing stuff as you get more money? Yeah. So it's kind of depends on the person's situation, but I would think especially younger people or parents that are giving money to their kids to buy these, you know, fractional shares, they should try to teach them to form a regular habit of to be regularly investing. So for instance, you know, they always say, you know, you read these financial books or Susie Orman, I read as a child to save 10% of what you earn to pay yourself first. I actually think it can be more, it can be 20% or 30, the more the better because the compounding you get way ahead. But I think investing regularly if you don't have like a big sum to put in your thesis, like the 10,000 to start the way I was saying, I mean, it's always a good time to start because even if the market goes down over time, as long as you didn't put it all in one stock yeah. that, that goes to zero, you know, hopefully it's going to be going up over time. But yeah, I do believe in a regular cadence of investing, especially for younger people, especially below the age of 18, if they're using parents' money in uniform minds, because it forms a habit for later life to think about saving and investing because I'm a real big believer in habits. Okay. Yeah. Right. So just, okay, just getting in the habit of investing with some sort of, of saving, cadence. investing, right. And even for younger kids, even some kind of giving too, just a little bit of giving because okay. you can do like $25 loans on Kiva and things like that now. So yeah. that there can be things like that where they get into the habit of saving, investing, giving. And I, I used to be too tight as a child, never spent any money. I mean, there's a guy who grew up and said, <laughs> you're the cheapest person I have and all this stuff. But, um, and rel- relative to net worth, I'm still cheap. But I believe that all people who got really like, Beyond wealthy, like the Warren Buffetts of the world and the Larry Ellisons, even though you read Larry Ellison spent $40 million, $100 million on island, or relative to his like 50 or $60 billion net worth, that's nothing. Yeah, right. So okay. all these people relative to their net worth are extremely frugal because, you know, the sums have gotten so godly. Right. And another thing people don't realize, because Sam Walton was one of my heroes I used to read about, oh, love is it, yeah. that all your wealth isn't 100% liquid either. So that's a big difference too. There's a big difference between liquid wealth and wealth on paper because the great fortunes are actually concentrated. A lot of people talk about diversification. I actually disagree. I think when you're a child, if your goal is to be a billionaire or something, then you should not diversify. You should have your major focus 90% in one thing. And then if it turns out and you're right, you'll, you'll be a billionaire. Ah, but if you're wrong, you're not. But if you're wrong, you're not, but you're so young, you have your whole life to recover. 
Got but it. the thing okay. is, is a lot of people, that's not their goal. So it depends on your personal goal. If that's not your personal goal, it's, it's perfectly fine to do the 70, 20, 10 and just, you know, grow. So you have some extra spending money and money for retirement. That's a totally different goal. So right. it depends on the person's objective because I've learned even in the public markets, the power law has basically come into rule because monster beverage slash Hanson, you know, was, was 90% of all, all my returns in the, right, in the public right. market. Yeah. So it's going right. to be the power law, just like I believe in the, um, private investments I made in secondary shares, probably 90% is going to come from one company. And then in, in the ones that were earlier stage that weren't secondary, 90% is going to come probably from two or three companies. And out of two or three, one of them is going to be the dominant of those two or three. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Got it. So interesting. Yeah. You sound like you have a very, um, a very tight, very well thought out thesis on, on all this, which sounds oh, great. Thanks. And I appreciate one, it. Yeah, I can go yeah, on and on about that. No, no, it's great. Some people, some people think they're crazy. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's great because I think that's that's the one thing I've noticed from talking to a lot of people about this is there's there's people who have it. You're never going to be always right, but you at least have a plan and you have a, a, a way to execute on it versus just throwing money at you know companies or um, really any stock any type of investment vehicle that, you know, you don't have like a thesis or a, a general understanding behind why. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you too. So you, you obviously are an angel investing. Um, you, you're big into just investing in general. How did you, how did you like after school, how did you get into this space? Cause I was looking on your LinkedIn and I noticed that you, you did actually, you're actually a recording artist for a long time. Is that what you like originally wanted to do? And then I would love to learn more about that because I think it's really interesting to hear people's stories of how they got to where they are. And that seemed like that was actually a big part of your life for a long time. Yeah, so I've been writing songs since the, the eighth grade. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. um, when, I was, when I was 17 years old, I, I won this local rap contest where you got voted on, on the volume of the cheers. And I got to go to Amateur Night on the Apollo. And I did this rap song I wrote called Cheese a Tease. And I didn't win, Whoa. but luckily I didn't get sand off. That was one of the scariest things ever. And the Apollo on TV looks so big. It's only 1,700 is the capacity. Yeah. And it's a really small theater. Okay. And they, people don't know when they record that they record like all the amateur nights in one block for a season. There was literally a line going for blocks for people to get, I mean, it, look, it looked like miles, but who knows how long it really was. Cause you know, it's yeah. hard to, when you're 17, you see sure. that, like, Oh my God, it's so many people. And they let all the people in, they film one show. And the rule is if you, you, you can boo like the amateurs like me, but okay. if, if you booed like the headline guy, like when I did a Bismarck, he was a headline guy. They stopped the taping, like everybody out, everybody out. That's grew in because people were booing, you know, the, the stars. Yeah. And then um, the amateur night comes on, they encourage the booing. And some people, of course, it was so loud when I was rapping. Oh, some people so were booing funny. and some people weren't, of course. Yeah. But luckily I made it through and the Sandman didn't come out. And I got to rub the petrified, you know, stone for good luck. <laughs> so I guess the good luck didn't come in music because I actually did end up having a CD self put out back then. Now everyone can do it. It's so easy. But back then it was really hard because you had to um, get distribution yourself. You didn't have like iTunes and Spotify and all this stuff. Right. You actually had to go knocking on college radio station doors to get it played and going to stores and asking them to carry your CD on consignment and things like it was all this oh, wow. crazy stuff. Yeah, that's so totally I, different. I was like, I always joke. I always joke. I was bad luck because every store that took my CD ended up closing and getting in a lot of trouble. Like, Borders <laughs> took it. They ended up the whole company closed record and tape traders, a local company closed music land, a national company took it. They closed. The only one that didn't close was Barnes and Noble one of the local ones took it but you know the 
that kind of store is way down from it from its high. So they, sure. I was bad luck to all these people. And people say, well, how many CDs did you sell over the time? And, and you know, it sounds good when you say like around 10,000, but that was over like 10 to 12 to 15 year period. Cause I found out even last year, somehow some people were buying some online oh, because nice. what happened is now some of the CDs that get bought, I don't get anything for because music land went bankrupt and they kept all my CDs in the seizure and FYE bought their, I guess, assets for pennies on the dollar. And it's funny because one time I was in California, I actually saw in a trash bin, literally a trash bin, 25, 50 cent, my CD in there. No way. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. If you, if you look on, you on the FYE website, I'm, I'm on there. No, I didn't take a picture with it. But in the FYE website, you can find James Sowers Notice Me CD. It's so funny. But that's you know, over awesome. for 10,000 over like a decade period, that's, that's horrible. It's not yeah. really good. So that's pretty sweet though. I mean, that's cool. I mean, you did that for well, a long least, time, you know, right? I was, I was in stores. I was in stores. You know, independent musician. I was, I was in stores. A lot of people will never be in physical stores now the way digital yeah, is. And sure. I did release a couple of digital albums that, you know, they did okay, but not great. But the thing about digital, you didn't have to do many physical copies, just a handful of just because you wanted to have them. Okay. And you could be profitable almost from the beginning just having any sales. And then I, I stopped doing the music around 2012. I was actually, some, somebody ran a red light and um, I was in a car accident. Oh, wow. And I had trouble playing the guitar and stuff all the way through and, and gotcha. keyboards oh, and sorry. stuff like that. Wow, yeah. And that's okay. But um, but it's still interesting. I do have an ASCAP card and, um, you know, songs are technically published professionally because I was on college radio and XM radio and Sirius radio. Oh, so that's awesome. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know how much that's a big deal now, but because you have Spotify, it's probably more of a big deal and, um, you know, iTunes and Rhapsody and stuff like that. But, you know, even the technology changes just in the last – 10 years have been amazing, just even in the music industry. That's crazy, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. nuts. Um, no, that's really wild. And so did you, after the accident, did you, is that when you decided to start doing angel investing or how, how did you transition from music to where you are now? Yeah. So for about, I don't know, three or four years, it was hard to get around. I actually lost weight down to 106 pounds. I mean, there's oh, a wow. picture on Facebook. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's, it's kind of funny too, because I was eating like 12 times a day, eating like whole pizzas and jars of peanut butter to try to stop losing weight because the doctors were afraid if you get below a certain weight apparently your organs will shut down or something and then when i started getting better i actually gained a lot of weight there's pictures of me on there being speaking at mit and y'all recognize myself i'm so fat i was like 195 oh, pounds <laughs> now i'm back to like 150 ish and before the action i was like 168 but i had more lean muscle and was kind of ripped and it's been kind of hard to wow. get back to that but some yeah. of it might be my age too so I, i'll blame it on that but some of it could be my age <laughs> because i'm older yeah but um, yeah, just getting around thinking, I started watching these YouTube videos and seeing videos about people that were like angel investing companies, VCs and angel investors like Ron Conway of SV Angel and Sam Altman of Y Combinator and just learning their way of thinking and watching talks with like Peter Thiel and just different investors. I mean, there's others too that I can't think of off the bat and just sure, trying yeah. to see what's their thesis and then like, okay, well, maybe I agree with their thesis, maybe I don't, but maybe there's pieces my subconscious will take in of their thesis and I'll form my own thesis because I have my own thesis and one of them may have used the term directional arrows, but I, I kind of change it to, to the great transformation arc in history. And I was like, that's going to be coming because I feel like since the railroads and the oil industry, there hasn't really been a lot of technological change because imagine the impact they had when they first turned on electricity and they had railroads and they had cars and they had airplanes. I mean, yes, we've had like the iPhone and things like that, but that was all built on top of existing infrastructure 
infrastructure. It didn't right. really revolutionize the world the way that it was when the 1800s, when America or 1700, whenever it was, first started and the way the Rockefellers really caught the wave. Because, you know, Rockefeller's net worth when he passed away, I've read, and who knows if it's true, was like 1.2 billion, but the next closest person was only like 200 million. So that's like six times. That'd be like someone now having six times the wealth of Jeff Bezos or something. Right. I mean, yeah, that's an enormous true. divide. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of history re repeating. A lot of people don't realize, like, in the time of Rockefeller, there was a big divide between the rich and poor. The way now it's becoming the super haves and have-nots, back for then they had super haves and have-nots. Okay. So I believe we go through cycles, and I think we're going into a next transition where it's going to be a big internet grab, like a mind share, and there's going to be hundred trillion people. Think I'm crazy. Hundred trillion dollar companies and ten trillion dollar companies, and the Nasdaq's going to go to like twenty three thousand and all this stuff, and people are like, "You're nuts." Whoa. But I don't just throw these numbers out there, you know, just to throw out number. I mean, obviously you're picking a number, sure, but what sure. I'm saying is the technological innovation is there's going to be in winner take most. It's going to be a growing pie. But it's a pie that's expanding because the internet land grab is expanding, expanding. So there's going to be more wealth created, more market share. And things like AI and stuff are going to make us more productive. Because I had read books about how the United ah. States became to power because yeah. the productivity was so great. Our gains were exponential of other places. So I'm of the theory that if we have productivity gains because of technology that lowers costs, because I actually believe that um, technology is deflationary, that as time goes on because remember the cell phone like the big brick when i was a child was like thousands of dollars and now you can have an iphone for you know a fraction of that and have right. thousand <clears throat> times or whatever it is the computing power so i believe that even the poorest people today live better than the richest rockefellers back you know in the 1890s 1912s even 1930s because the rising technology has lifted all boats and made everybody's life easier got it oh yeah no that's wild i never i've honestly not really thought about it that way so you think do you think that, um, like, I don't know if you're, if you're aware of any of this stuff. Do you, what do you think of like, when, you, when I go, when I hear AI, I think right away to, um, even things like Neuralink, like Elon Musk's Neuralink and like how that's going to like speed just everyone up in different ways. Do you think that's then in turn going to speed up what companies can accomplish? Is that kind of like the thesis of like how that'll all impact everything? That's part of it. And that's one of my thesis, the intersection of humans and technology. So not just Neuralink, but I kind of think of AI as more can be augmenting human life because you might even have uh. exoskeletons and your clothes will be smart. So my clothes will be like, hey, you're eating too much of this calorie. You better stop or you're going to get fat. And then certain sensors, there's going to be like diagnostics on oh. a chip that you can use with your cell phone. There's already a company that just went public via SPAC, Butterfly Network where they, the doctors can hook up something into the cell phone and they can do an ultrasound. And I'm like, wow, that's Whoa. the future of like, even if it's not that company, full body scan, they can scan different parts of your body and say, this is going to be wrong. And then with genetics, like CRISPR genetic engineering, they'll yeah. be able to say, hey, a kid's going to be born and he's got this cancer gene or he's got this bad gene or his family's got this history. Let's alter this gene. A lot of people say, well, that's wrong. That's playing God. That's unethical, really? Because technology is neither good or bad. I look at it, is it ethical to let a child that you know is going to have this struggle Sure. To not fix that. Now, because right. technology can be used for good or bad. So obviously people could use it to create these super armies or somebody might say, hey, I want my kid to be the next Michael Jordan. Let's make his genes that. Well, first of all, if everyone does that or the ones that can, then the, the bar is going to be raised and every person can't be the Michael Jordan. So the one yeah. who's at the most desire, works the hardest, works the smartest is going to be the Michael Jordan, not just based on the gene editing. So, right. so I think, you know, it's hard to know someone's intentions, but if you can use technology to improve lives, and I think we're going to end up doing it, that's the way to go. Got it. Yeah. No, and, and this Neuro, is, Neuralink is part of that. Sure. This is not nearly as probably technical as that thing you talked about, but have you ever heard of Whoop? 
it's like a fitness it's like a fitness but really it's more like a health tracking device the same thing kind of like it tracks your um your daily cardiovascular strain and then your your you basically get a recovery score one out of 100 every day and then tracks like deep sleep analytics to give you like how much you're basically hrv and resting heart rate to like triangulate like how recovered and how ready your body is for strain the next day but this and Neuralink are like the two things that i've i mean i I, that i've paid attention to the most that um it's crazy how that intersection i I can totally see it happening do you think it's also going to happen quick like i think as technology is is exponentially you know getting more and more complex does that stuff like get closer and closer to happening sooner than later so the way I look at it is um, it seems like you're pedaling along and pedaling along for decades, and then there's one breakthrough. Because I always say there has to be a technology inflection or an adoption inflection. I actually think in the new, in the new revolution, it will be both technology and adoption inflections intersecting. Okay. So it'll seem like something's just moving like this, like a neural link, and then one day there'll be breakthrough, and maybe it could be from someone else that builds the tools, and boom, you're there, and it just takes off. Got I do it. think we're many years away from every person having a neural link because obviously putting something in your brain, you got to make sure it doesn't kill, kill someone or harm them in any way. Exactly. But the way I believe about neural link as far as humans, because some people say, oh, you shouldn't be testing that on humans. I think they're using pigs right now. Is that if somebody, say, is paralyzed or has ALS and they're basically have a bad situation anyway, if they want to try something like that to possibly get back to normal to enhance their lives, knowing the risk factors of what could go wrong, people should be allowed to make that decision. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. James, it sounds like you have, you are like, you have these theses that are like, in my opinion, very well thought out, very, um, very smart. And you, it seems like you have a, a expertise in a lot of different areas to kind of tie it back to angel investing. How do you, how do you take all this passion and energy I feel from you and find companies that you want to invest in? Like what, what is kind of your process of doing some of that? Oh yeah. Pre- appreciate the, um, kind words um so when i first started out you know you don't really know any companies or anything so i started going to demo days now i get a lot of in-mail and um i get you know warm introductions because you start building a network so i've been trying to speak at different conferences like in december i'm going to be speaking at two virtually now because because of COVID, things are virtual so i'll be doing this one for opal and this one for um family office um club i think it's family office club it's called and um you know, you build up your network and you introduce different people. And to me, the very first thing is always you have to believe in the people. So it could be the greatest idea in the world or even the greatest team. But if, if I just don't gel with the people or they don't gel with me, then sure. it's not a fit. But I believe it has to be the right time for everything. Because I always give the example of how, like, you know, the great Reed Hoffman, he did LinkedIn. He's a genius and all this stuff. But he tried to do social net and that failed. And Mark Zinkus tried, Mark Pincus, I mean, tried to do some kind of social company and that also failed and i think it was too early and a lot of people don't know mark pinkus also had the idea for uber many many years ago oh. and it wasn't the time for that either and i don't think he ever really tried to get it off the ground but um so i believe if it's not the right time then it doesn't matter you have the most genius team most genius people the most determined people not going to happen it has to be the time where the technology becomes cheap enough because i always ask why i learned from listening to elon musk First principles thinking. So everything has probably been tried before, has had an idea. Why has it never succeeded? Because I believe most good ideas or maybe all good ideas will eventually happen in the right time. Okay. And there just yeah. needs to be certain breakthroughs that lower the cost, make the technology fast enough, remove enough friction to, to get people to adopt them, enough people to adopt them. And it's not necessarily the best technology that wins. 
It's the one that gets the adoption and then people build enough things on top of it to improve our lives. So I actually believe in the really crazy moonshot stuff. You need a, like a Messiah, somebody that people can get behind and believe in because if you can't raise the money for all this crazy stuff. You'll never succeed at it. It's just like now there's this big argument about hydrogen, whether it works versus electric. And I've actually talked to people about that that are experts. And they said, the problem is it's too costly to convert the hydrogen to energy. And I'm like, uh -huh. okay, so we know that's true. But then what would cause it not, not, not to? So there has to be breakthroughs. So, and I said, well, if enough people put enough money into the sector, and that's another thing that SPACs are, are doing, then someone, if it's plausible within a recent time frame, 10 years, 15 years, will get the breakthrough and there'll be some kind of use for hydrogen. It won't be 100% hydrogen, but maybe hydrogen has a special use that I don't know about that it's better for. And then, of course, there'll be the electric vehicles that have their own use and things like that. So that's kind of how I look at a timing, you know, and adoption of technology, adoption, inflection of humans to adopt something, or just yeah. something happens. Like COVID is going to cause an adoption, inflection of um, currencies that are digital. Just this, all this central bank digital currency stuff, they're rushing to go to it. I gave a talk before COVID about how paper money is dirty and spreads like the flu and who God knows what. Before oh, COVID. yeah. And I said, in five years, there's going to be almost no paper money. And people were laughing at me and someone came up and said were you just saying that for attention are, are you crazy <laughs> i said no because um countries are going to go to digital money and they said why and part of my thesis they apparently weren't listening was because of negative interest rates it will be easier in digital money if you have to have a digital wallet for them to force a negative interest rate on you because you can take your physical money out of the bank and put it somewhere else so sure. in digital money you'll either be forced to go into the stock market or their assets but people don't understand that like tre if treasuries are negative Pension funds and certain corporations have to have certain banks have to have so much of their balance sheet in treasuries. So it don't matter if it's a negative yield. They are forced to hold them. Interesting. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Do you think, um, do you think now with COVID, do you think, like, I, I think it's funny. I've noticed even the stores I go to, the physical locations I still go to, I mean, I don't think there's any of them now that don't have either like the touchless payments or uh, at least the chip, right? So from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, how do you, the, you know, what's funny though, the one place that always gets me are like little things like tips. So like a good example, we went and got uh, dinner last night and val we had valet parking. I, is there, I wonder if there's ever going to be a thing like to be able to like tip the valet driver. Like I don't carry cash. So for me to like go somewhere where we have a valet, I was like, shit, I got to grab some cash because I need to give this guy a tip. But it'd almost be nice if there's a way for your for, from your phone to just I mean there's like Venmo and stuff but you're not gonna ask the guy for his Venmo account you know what <laughs> I mean so it's funny because like there's there's like only a few little times left that I I noticed that I still need cash yeah they're definitely phasing cash out because I noticed local stores near me some of them have mostly um checkouts that are self checkout that don't even dispense cash and they may have like a big store like a Walmart may have a handful of registers that can even take cash and only one or two of them are open to discourage the use of it. But I, I do think because I've heard that you can tip the Uber driver and stuff on, on the app. So yeah. probably companies within their own apps will have that tipping. But once we have like a universal Fed coin, which I actually believe will be a public private, a public, you know, public private partnership where um, people will, um, the government will actually work with somebody like Circle that has um, USDC initially. 
Okay. And um, they'll partner with them and then things will be built on top. And then maybe the government will always have them as a vendor, who knows, and they'll have their own Fed coin. It may be USDC initially because people are used to using that. And then they may have a separate coin, Fed coin eventually. But I believe they'll actually start out as USDC. And I actually think this is the gateway to um, universal basic income, which I had this whole speech I got booed about. Universal basic <laughs> crypto about how there should be like five tokens was my thesis at the time. This was like three years ago. And okay. one of them is just can only be used for healthcare. One of them can only be used for housing. One of them only for food. One of them for discretionary. And then one of them could be something, something else. I, I can't even remember what it was. But um, people were like, you're crazy. You'd have to have five tokens. And I was like, no programmable money you can actually program the token that can only be used for that and they're like well that's stupid because then the merchant can't get regular dollars oh i know what the other one was just a general usdc coin that would be used but i called it fed coin and i was like no because when the merchant takes it he can trade all of these in as long as he's you know a partner and an affiliate with the government to accept this which everybody obviously would be at that point they could get the regular money for the business and people were like that'll never happen i can't believe you're praising socialist stuff here at a family <laughs> office conference or whatever or a wealth conference and i was like i was like listen you guys are all afraid of ai the people are going to revolt before the robots do and if yeah. we go into the super duper have-nots the people are going to revolt and you're not going to go outside and be afraid for your life and one guy told me yeah that, that that's why we all plan to fly away to space i was like oh my goodness <laughs> this guy's crazier than me even though I've, I've actually i've actually heard that some people are planning that and that's one of the reasons to build outer space that's another thing i think too that if we unfortunately ruin the planet that outer space will be the new land grab if we can find like a planet that's inhibitable it'll be just like going to a new world and you know if you get the land you can claim it because i've heard like asteroid mining if you have you know the, the ability to do it and i'm not real familiar with that that you can get all kinds of minerals and stuff and gold and stuff that's worth all kinds of money apparently there's all kinds of gold in the astro i don't even know if that's true but i, I've I have no that. idea that's wild yeah, yeah i mean yeah. it's funny to think right it's, i mean this is really in the in the in the clouds but like yeah, we there, there's no more land to be grabbed on this entire planet, and in our history, that was like a whole thing of of um, expeditions and finding new land and new opportunities. Right. And so, you're, to your point, yeah, if we can ever get, I've, what was the? Um, you might like this if you're into space. There's a show on Netflix um, with I'm blanking on her name. It's called Away. It's a it's like a ten part Netflix series that just came out. It's about our first, basically like our first international cohesive expedition to Mars and like landing on Mars with humans. It's so cool. You would love it. It's a, it's a good show oh, cool. if, you're, if you're interested in, in, in watching something along those lines. Oh, cool. Yeah. I have to check that out. See, I actually think now you mentioned that the land grab, that's why I think the land grab's turning into mind share where the land grab is now going to be on the internet. Oh, okay. and, th- and then yeah. once that starts really expanding in the next decade or so, then enough breakthroughs will happen and the cost of the parts will come down. They'll be able to 3D print rocket parts and they'll make other breakthroughs with the chips and the powering of the electricity, using electricity instead of, because right, I mean, I'm not an expert on rockets, so don't let anyone in the audience quote me on this, but I believe <laughs> that they have to use like all this propulsion power and stuff. And right now that like electric and clean energy isn't powerful enough to get you launched. I, that might be wrong, but I would think that that, that would be the probably thing. true. And, right? and once someone figures that out, and has a battery that's sustainable enough to get you all the way to space. Because I've also read, and I'm not an expert on this, that someone could actually go to Mars now, but you couldn't get back. Oh. And then I think they have to solve the light years problems too, where something's really far away. And I, I bet you this is all theory only because no one's ever really done it. If you went yeah. far enough away and tried to come back because of the light years, you would age. But I wonder if that's an incorrect thesis because it goes back to my thing about 99% of people know something that's generally wrong. Sure, yeah. Because how, how do we even re- really know that, that that's the truth? Yeah, I was going to say, no, no one's it. been, right? 
But I would imagine it would take a toll on the physical body from what we know about astronauts and it would probably kill you. Yeah, right. I was going to say, I think just like being in space, I think that's going to be something that no one's figured out yet is like how do humans last? And I think it takes like, I think at the speed we can travel right now, it would take almost three years to get to Mars. So you're sitting in a spaceship for three years, which mentally and physically, I'm sure would be a, that would be probably just as complicated of an issue. Right. I remember as a child, too, they said there was only nine planets. Now it's always, you'd be like, how do they know? And of course, now they're yeah. saying there's thousands of planets and the universe keeps expanding. Because I always believe, like, I'm a big fan of Star Wars, that one day it's going to be like Star Wars. People are going to be, this could be thousands of years from now, living in outer space on these galaxies. spaceships. And then, and then we'll have, like, the rebellion and the dark side, <laughs> the Imperials, and all that stuff. <laughs> could be reality someday. Great, great TV series, though. I tell you what, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> This has been really fun, James. I really appreciate it. I want to be cognizant of your time, so I only have a few more questions, and I, okay, cool. I, would, I would love to you know, have you on again because this has been so much fun. Um, <laughs> I would love to know. So for you, I mean, you're you know, obviously big into the investing world like we've talked about today. Um, it sounds like you're, you're into a ton of different things, if I would just put it, like, put it out there. Like, it sounds like you're into investing. You're into startup companies. You just have lots of things going on that you're into. Um, how do you structure your, and I like to ask all anyone on this podcast as a guest, this question, how do you, I guess, how do you, and then what tools do you use to structure your, you know, what are your goals to your like daily tasks? Do you, are you like a, do you just like to go by the seat of your pants? Do you have apps you use? Do you, are you like a pen and paper kind of guy? Just, you know, that type of stuff, like how you like plan out your weeks, your days and goals. So, so, so I believe that, um, you know, I think I was at um, the Ravens thing. A friend of mine had a um, suite, and they had these private things for the team. And, and the coach said, you know, they had this thing in the locker room, women, what's important now? So okay. I believe you have Ooh. to focus on what's important now and put the majority of your focus on what's important now. And that even goes back to your startup question about knowing about founders. If they have a clear plan they can describe, and of course it's going to change because, you know, it's all learning as you go. Sure. But this, and I always say, well, what's the main, what's the yes if? If this one thing goes right, how would you be a billion dollar company? And they would say it. And I say, what's the three biggest risk to um, that happening? And it's funny because some of them haven't thought about it. You can tell while they're thinking about what the risks are. So that's never a good sign. They haven't thought about it. Yeah, oh shit, no, it's not. But then when, but the important thing about the yes, if question is, because they don't know if they're right, but I look for them to have a different view of the world than everyone else is going to be non-consensus and right. And if they're right, it would be the big outcome. And I look at the probabilities in my mind, can this person do it? Do I agree with their thesis? Does it agree with my thesis? But then when I say the yes, if, then I'll ask after the, the three biggest things, I'll say um, something like, okay, what do you, sp- what do you um, focus most of your time on walking through your day? And if it doesn't add up to their yes, if, that means they're not focusing on the right stuff. Oh, got it. Okay. So how, how do you focus on the right stuff? How do you do that? So, so what I do is, you know, luckily I don't have to um, have a schedule where I have to adhere to certain things. Sure. But whatever's most important, like I, I use a tablet now. So I'll put it on the tablet of things that'll okay. keep reminding me. So when I pull it up, they're always in front of me. And I'll even write stuff in paper, like on the wall or on the bathroom mirror of all funny things of like, these are your goals in the next, like say six months. And then look at them and see how you can, but you see them every day. So I think it gets in your subconscious mind. This is your long-term goal. And I have this one thing on the, on the um, wall in, in the bathroom. It says, you know, you create your reality. You, you become what you focus on. So oh, even like though I, I don't know, I'm reading it every time I go into the bathroom, you know, I'm, I'm hoping my yeah. subconscious is, is seeing it. Right. And I try not to have too rigid of a schedule because if something comes up, 
or there's an opportunity, I can try to take advantage of it. Or if like one of the companies I've invested in wants to um, talk about something or need some help, or if like something like your podcast comes up, you know, I, I try to have it where weeks out, I have a pretty clean schedule, unless it's okay. something that has to be in that spot. Sure. Got it. And, okay. and that way, because I like to actually spend the majority of my time thinking and learning. Oh, so I like yeah. to spend a lot of time thinking about things, thinking about my thesis, reading, learning, things like that. And, and you keep saying thesis. Is, do you, are you like constantly trying to develop your own personal life thesis? Is that kind of like what you're referring to? Just like different things that you believe in and you're driving towards? Yeah, like mental models. So I'm a big fan of like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett and I've read a lot of their books and they're big on mental models. And I've noticed people might not necessarily use the word mental models, but like a lot of VCs and stuff when they'll ask startups questions, because I started advising some startups that are really early, like didn't even have a product, just being an advisor, but sitting in, you know, trying to get them connected with people of their stage that would talk to them and actually attending the meetings virtually. Okay. And a lot of the questions they ask is, how do you think about this or that? And when you say, how do you think about they might not be thinking this in their head or maybe they are that they're getting that person's mental model without even knowing they're asking for that mental model. Got it. Oh, okay. Got it. So, so then by, by having, thesis, I'm right. I'm forming my mental model of how things are going to be. And it can always be evolving because I believe too, if the facts or circumstances change and you'd be a fool not to change, but you know, you know, your level of conviction with thesis and it, and it could be slowly playing out, but you just don't see the results every day. But like I was talking about the technology, you could just be plugging along and one day it's boom. Cause I believe being a successful ultimately isn't like one big, everything's what's one big thing. And what's the one big piece of advice. It's a million little things that lead you in the right direction to that ultimate space where the luck hits you just right. And that big thing happens because a lot of people think too, in stock investing, Oh my God, I got to be right 90% of the time really big once. You could actually be wrong like in startup investing 90% of the time. If you have that one big Facebook or Google and the position was large enough, you get the outsized return. Because I think the power law is in everything in life. Because look in sports, there's only so many Patrick Mahomes, only so many Michael Jordans, only so many Tom Brady's. It's the power right. law. And to get in the NFL, they're all have ungodly like talent. I always laugh at people when they say, oh, this player sucks. I could do better than him. Really? <laughs> like, I'd no like way. to see you step on the field with him. Yeah. Or in basketball, this guy sucks. Really? You, you, he was on the court with us. He would look like Michael Jordan. Right. Yeah, exactly. Perspective. And I, I always laugh at the people too when they talk about these MMA fighters that are women. I'll be like, she would kill you. She's like 106 pounds. You're 200 pounds. She would beat the crap out of you unless you just got one lucky punch because you weigh 240. She'd hit you 30 times and you would get all tired out swinging and she would light you up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, there's, some, there's some UFC fighters. that I think it's crazy how – they're like the world's best killers and they don't look like they would be like, if you could walk up someone like that on the street, that's what's crazy about UFC. Now they just mix martial arts. Is there's so many people that are probably skilled in that, that you would never know until it's too late. <laughs> right. That, that, that's why it's better always to walk away from any conflict. Exactly. Be, lead with some kindness. Right. Um, no, that's really helpful. <laughs> Appreciate that context. Um, what is uh, you've mentioned you love learning. So I hope, I'm assuming you'll probably have a few here. Maybe um, if Anyone listening, you know, wants to, um, or anyone listening would, would maybe read this, but for you, what is like the most common book that you gift or suggest to other people? So I believe a lot in thinking. So I think the book Think and Grow Rich is really valuable for people. Okay. Because even if they don't just want to be like, some people say, well, you know, I'm not greedy. I'm not worried about rich. But if you just take those principles and apply them to anything in your life, it could apply to being the greatest parent in the world, the greatest teacher, the greatest anything. And then there's a book, um, As a Man Thinketh, 
I think it's James Allen or something like that. I might be getting the name wrong because Napoleon, I think Hill is the think and grow rich, but just by applying the concepts of these books and the mental models or the ways of thinking, you can apply it to anything in your life. It doesn't have to be just being rich or whatever, just being the best at what you do because it's so funny too. Like I have people, would say, oh, what advice should I give my kid? What career they should go in so they make a lot of money? And I should be, well, that's not the advice they should get. It should be, what do they love doing? What are they passionate about? And they're like, oh, well, they need to go to college and get this education and get a really good job. And I was like, but if they hate what they're doing, they're not going to be successful anyway. But you could be the very best at something and be making hundreds of millions of dollars and everyone else isn't making anything. And not only that, too, what pays a lot of money today, by the time they're at job age, could be an industry that's been disrupted. It doesn't even exist or doesn't pay sure. any money. So it's better for them to follow follow their focus and their efforts on what they're succeeding at and what their passion is. Because just because something's your passion, it might not necessarily be the thing you excel at. But when you try many things as a child, you're going to find one that you excel at. And I believe when you start really excelling at something, that you're probably going to end up getting a passion for it anyway. And your efforts are going to go more and more in your focus there. Because I think Ah. you get more of what you focus on, good and bad. Yeah, okay. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. I will, I'll link that book. I, uh, I actually, that's on my list, funny enough. And I've been meaning to do Which that. Which one, Think of Rich? Yes, yes. So I'm definitely going to read that one soon. Um, so obviously since you're, you know, an angel investor, the, one of the questions, I, the last questions I had would be, um, you know, what advice do you have for anyone who either has started their own company and is looking to raise capital or who just wants to start their own company and someday may need capital? Do you have any just general high level advice that you normally would give to founders? Yeah. So na- nowadays it's easier never to start a company. It costs almost nothing, but more expensive than ever to scale. And as long as they're doing it for the right reasons. So I would say, you know, something that you feel is a problem, you're solving a problem that can change humanity, but it's something that's personal to you that you may have a special insight about that nobody else has where the world's going. And then basically let that become your life's work. And then you do the startup. Cause I know there's a lot a lot of people now do startup because it's cool. It's a resume item or sure. you know, they think they might get rich or, yeah. or whatever for the wrong reasons. But if it's something they're passionate about, that's a real world problem that can impact billions of lives. Because I think if it touches a billion people, it's, pro- it's probably going to be a pretty successful startup. Even, not, even if it's not necessarily a billion dollar company, by touching a billion people, it's still probably going to be pretty good because not every business is a venture scale business too. So you have to think about... When I start this business, is it going to be a venture scale business or more of a lifestyle business, which some people take as an insult, but realize a lifestyle business isn't an insult. Somebody could start a business and literally making tens of millions of dollars in profits for themselves, but it doesn't scale as a venture scale business, which might be better for you. You'll actually make more money in the long run. Sure. So you got to think, and I would say bootstrap as long as you can till you get to a point where you say, okay, now bring in capital with the right people will help grow this company and help change the world because not every company really even needs capital there have been some companies that even became venture scale like qualtrics that didn't raise money until they were like i don't know if it's true but i'd read a 400 million valuation or something like that and took in money and ended up they were going to go public but it ended up getting bought for like eight billion dollars or some crazy amount obviously wow. that's a serious outlier sure but, yeah, um, yeah so it's got to be something you're passionate about because another thing too is when people become entrepreneurs and leave their job you know, a 40 or 50 hour work week. Now they're going to be working 80, 90, hours for less pay and a lot more headaches. Cause even when things are going good in startups, I've noticed in the ones I've invested in, always something's going wrong. So the right. better everything's going, the more you're scaling, more stuff hits the fan to deal with. So it's never going to be perfect. Like okay. even people say, well, Mark Zuckerberg, look at him. He's worth like, no, you don't do it. Whatever's perfect. Yeah. But Mark Zuckerberg can do a lot of things we can't do, but like fly these super duper jets or meet with Kings and Queens of the world or people in governments. But he also probably can't go outdoors and take his kids to the park without security and stuff. So yeah. I say everything in life has a blessing and a curse. 
Sure. Which that makes sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He might have all the money in the world, but he can't do all the, maybe the simplest things that we all take for granted. Right. Right. Got so it. I love, I love the, con- is that really what someone wants? Is that their goal? Yes. Got it. Okay. No, and I love the piece about bootstrapping. We've talked about that on this podcast a lot is just with founders, how long do you bootstrap for? When is the right time to raise money? And it just sounds like simply put, bootstrap for as long as you possibly can until you need funding to really take it to the next level. Right. Unless it's something like climate change tech or some biotech stuff or outer space stuff, obviously you you need money on just an idea and you probably have to be a scientist or PhD background, something like that. But I always say too, that when you start a company, you need to really think about what your culture is going to be because if you don't, it's going to form itself because Uh, the people you hire are going to form the culture. And if you haven't thought this out and had your mental model, you're going to be hiring people that doesn't fit your culture because you don't know what it is. I always say if you, yeah. you, know, if you don't stand for something, you're liable to fall for anything. Because I right. like the idea of Netflix's um, culture deck. So if you have your own, it doesn't have to be a deck, but if you have your own like one page of yourself of your own culture that you want to be at your company and just hire based on that, they fit that culture. You know, eventually you'll get people that are so passionate, they can learn to be smart enough, but the culture's first. And then everything you do has to be going back towards your mission. Everybody always says these negative things about Zuckerberg and, you know, who knows what his intention is, but that man has never, ever focused from his goal of getting every person on the planet connected on Facebook. Everything he ever did always goes back to that. We may not agree with how he did it or why he did it, but we don't really know what he was truly thinking, but he's never wavered from that goal to this day. That's true. Yeah, that is definitely true. Not once. Yeah, yeah. no, I love that. I, at um, at RX Bar, I, that was the first company I've ever worked at where, um, I mean, they their first and most utmost priority was the culture. And you like felt that through the interview process. Like, I mean, the founder, Peter, he, um, you were, he was the last step and he would just ask you, honestly, like the questions you get were questions you've never been asked before. And it really made you think in a different way and really get to your core beliefs and core values. Um, but I, that's great advice. And I, I can only imagine for startups at any stage, um, hiring the right people, protecting the culture, that's, that's really powerful and really important. Yeah, one thing I try to do too is meet, meet people who worked at Facebook early or that worked actually with a Zuckerberg or people who have worked with a Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, older people. Cause now sometimes okay. I get lucky enough to meet some of these people. And I'm, I'm always like, cause there was one guy who was already really successful and he went to work for Facebook and he's lucky now because he was in the right place. So now he's worth like 3 billion or something on paper because of Facebook stock. Yeah. But I said to him, you know, you were like twice Zuckerberg's age. Why, why would you want to work there? And he goes, you know, man, I was really hesitant at first because he was at a VC fund and they want him to go and help with something. And okay. he goes, but man, he goes, you just couldn't leave. He said, the way this kid was, the way he so believed in the whole world should be connected on this platform. You couldn't help but buy in. He said it was just insane. He said, I've never seen nothing like it in my life. Oh, that's cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, it's, it's funny, just like some of these people that I've listened to who were beginning people, you know, at Facebook, Google, some of those, uh, the stories they have are wild. And it's, I think you could take a lot from that. Have you, um, have you, there's a show, I'm blanking on the name. There's a Netflix show that kind of goes into how these social media platforms like get you hooked and keep you like basically keep coming back and opening the app and how the notifications, like how the whole system works. Have you seen that documentary yet on Netflix? I haven't seen it, but it's called like the social, social something is a social dilemma or social. I think something. it's social dilemma. I, 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 I've, I've heard about that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because they say, you know, people try to get these hooked. It's just like I said, you know, 
monster beverage, what was Hanson Natural, any energy drink was a cigarette to my generation. And I say TikTok is the cigarettes of, you know, the Gen Z because it's forming their habits, do these crazy things on the app. And now we're going to move into like um, social shopping where people just mindlessly follow other people because (laughs) I always believe in critical thinking. So I'm not a big fan of people just following other people. But then I try to say, well, is there benefits to society that why is that good? Well, it can be good if people can learn from those people, but everything has a blessing and a curse. Yeah, right. So social media has done a lot of great things. It's made it where people had a voice that never had a voice. And it's also showed, but unfortunately there's an echo chamber where it shows you all the things you believe in, whether they're true or not. But I think every generation gets less and less racist because as being Korean and adopted, when I was a kid, people would pick on me because I was Korean. And I never saw any other Koreans, literally. I mean, okay. on TV, you might've saw like some Asians, like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan, but it was always stereotyped. Now you have BTS and K-pop. You have actors and actresses. You have athletes that are Korean. You even have some dude on The Bachelorette now that's Korean for the first time. So I think that the younger generation and people, people get to see other people that look like themselves in groups that never got to before. So I think by the time that the Gen Z gets an age of power, racism will almost be gone. Yeah, I hope so. That's that'd be great. And maybe and maybe that is some of the social media because now you see all walks of life. And I on think your it hurts phone. stereotypes too, be, be, because when I was a kid, I was always told certain things, even about my about being Asian or other cultures. And if you have nothing to reference it by, you can only go by what your parents are believing. I call it sure. kind of closet racism. Yeah, or what your yeah. aunts or uncles or people you're interacting with are believing. But when you go on social media, you might make a friend with somebody halfway across the world or see somebody from that culture or religion and be like, "Well, they told me everyone in this culture or religion is like that. That's not Jack." Or that's right. not John, and that's not Jill. So yeah. they're like, it can't be true. This is a misconception. Right. Yeah. And I think 100%. that's why it helps the younger generation be less and less and less, or even almost not racist at all. Yeah, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's uh, it's a really, it's actually like a little light bulb in my head. That's that's cool. That seems like that's actually a huge benefit we're seeing from social media that I hadn't thought of. Right, because when I was a kid growing up, I you know I watched Yo MTV raps and Michael Jordan was my hero. So I thought, oh, you know, all these people are just jealous of those people that are saying these things because you know this guy is the greatest athlete and all this stuff. Right. And I was into baseball players, and most of them weren't white; they were they were they were non-white people that were the stars. And I was like, oh, people are just jealous of those people. That's why they're saying all this stuff. But everybody sure. might not have formed that opinion because they may not have, um, you know, been sports fans or whatever. Right. But now with social media, though, I think it's a very much bigger picture where they can say just regular people, hey, that, that's not true. Everyone's telling me about this culture, race, or religion. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It totally makes sense. That's really cool. That's a, that's a good way to, uh, to wrap this up. Thanks, James. I appreciate the insight yeah, and cool, the thoughts. Cool, man. Um, cool. Thanks for how, having me on. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. This has been a really, this has been a really good podcast. It's been really fun. Um, how do people, people can obviously follow you on LinkedIn if they want to. That's, I mean, I, I, we, t- we chat on LinkedIn for the first time. Um, yeah. How, how do, what's the best way for people to learn more about you, follow along with your story? Do you have anything else that you'd like to share out with everybody? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously people can Google, Google you, but um, there's, they can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is at Primal Key, and I'm on Instagram, which is at Asian Cowboy 12 And I even made a Love TikTok, that one. but um, I don't oh, know you're on I the have TikTok. Like followers or something. I, I think it's Asian Cowboy is my TikTok. It might be Asian Cowboy 12 or Asian Cowboy. How did you, how did you, coin, how did you coin the, Asian the, Cowboy? The Asian Cowboy is, is on TikTok. And then I, I just started this thing called OnlyFans. I know it has a bad connotation for some of the things people believe on there, but that's another thing too. There's people on there doing exercise teaching and cooking and other things that aren't what people think it's necessarily for, which okay. I have nothing against people doing that. People can do yeah. what they want if they're adults. So I started thinking about and I started doing some post of thinking about if some people start following doing a subscription you know it's a real low amount 
for people where I can just do talks about different things, about ways of thinking about crypto, about different startups, about different theses of the world, and about um, different public companies and things like that. Just as information, not necessarily you should invest because I did or I had a thesis on the company. Sure. So things like that. Yeah, so the Asian cowboy, this is funny too. <laughs> it's, that's where I go back to all these ideas. Someone had them, but it just had to be the time. So when I was in high school playing the guitar in front of Apollo, I had a friend. He used to make these jokes. And this was before YouTube, as far as I know. They may have had Vimo or something even before Vimo. I don't even know what it was, Daily Motion or something. There were things like that back then. He said, man, you should – because he, he stole – I know he stole this from Howard Stern and the Naked <laughs> Cowboy. He says he didn't, but I know, I know he did. Oh, and he, so he said, funny. Um, he said, you should make these videos because his father – father had a camcorder for his business he goes okay. we'll, get, we'll get my dad's camcorder and i'll videotape you wearing a cowboy hat in your underwear playing the guitar and dancing around and we'll call you the asian cowboy oh like, that's Dude, funny you're crazy and so we never we never obviously did it but then when the rise of all this tiktok and the videos and stuff i was like yeah maybe i should try to resurrect the old asian cowboy idea and i made a few videos of me you know, playing the guitar or whatever, nobody really cares. I think you got like a hundred views. Hey, but you but, never um, know. If I, you never know. Now that right. it's out here, maybe you're going to get it out in some platforms and it'll right, blow up. I know it's weird because I know on the digital, I see people are um, downloading some of the songs off of Spotify and different places. I'm like, who the hell is even finding this stuff? I, I mean, I didn't tell anyone how they even yeah. finding this. I mean, it's amazing. And, though. I mean, um, maybe someone will hear this now and, and go check it out. Right. But I was thinking something like that might be a great platform for like a very low cost. And then some of the stuff isn't behind paywalls and some of these things. Cause you can do posts. That I think anyone can see where okay. people can, that are interested can just learn about stuff and it kind That's of democratizes awesome. everything. So I'm kind of just testing that out. And obviously TikTok's free for people to watch people on TikTok. So if, if there seems to be an interest in this OnlyFans type thing, subscription, or just people watching on TikTok, if I suddenly get a lot of followers and obviously TikTok is free, then I would start, you know, doing some video content and things like that. If, if it seems to be an interest of people. Yeah. Love that. Cool. Well, I'll, I mean, <clears throat> I will definitely link all of those uh, in the show notes today so that people can check it out and see what you think. Uh, oh, man, yeah, I, I appreciate it because um, my thing is I just want, don't want people to think what I think. I want them to think for themselves. And, and I've noticed a lot of people, like they want to sign up for something or watch something where you just tell them, oh, this is the company and this is because you did it. Sure. Like, that doesn't mean yeah. I'm right. And just right. even if I'm right for a short time, they don't know if situation changed and I sold or whatever. It's not like they're, you see right. where I'm going with this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I think it's trying cool to get that... people to foster their learning and their critical thinking and decide for themselves and even debate with me in a stinking way because when people say oh you're an idiot that's wrong i don't have a problem with them saying it but why am i an idiot why is that wrong sure have and their own I can opinion think for myself whether that's true or not but when i ask like scientists or someone that question and some of them are kind of hesitant to say something but i always tell them you know if it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard tell me and i'll say okay well and they'll say it kind of like you know kind of laughing because i said to say that if they think it's dumb and i'm saying okay well why is that the dumbest thing you ever heard right yeah right no i think it's really interesting because I, I do agree i think most people who at least are maybe even novices or even you know halfway decent want just the answers handed to them They're like well what did you do so i can do that too versus thinking for yourself understanding maybe how you think about things and challenging them to come up with their own ideas that's kind of that's a huge takeaway from this podcast for me right and the reason i ask why why because a scientist might say something's impossible but it really isn't impossible. The reason they gave is because it's something in their mind they don't think is possible. And I had to think about, okay, 
I'm going to ask this follow-up question. Well, if this happens, would that, and I always say, theoretically be possible? And they'll say, well, 99.9% .9 no, but if someone actually could do that, then yes. So right. that means, okay, wow. And that sticks in my mind, or I jot it down on the tablet, and then when I'm looking for something later and someone's doing something, I'm like, wow, that, that might be the technology inflection that makes this possible, or the adoption, of, or whatever it would be. Right. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah, there was one last thing I was going to say, too, that I learned from reading Zero to One from Peter Thiel. He says Love something it. like the next Mark Zuckerberg isn't going to start a social network. You know, the, the next Larry and Sergey aren't going to do a search engine. And if you're copying those people, you're not learning from them. And that, that, that to me was like, wow, he's saying, you know, if you're just copying them, you're basically mindless copier. But if you learn their ways of thinking and what they did, and then I've added, apply it to yourself, your own skills, your own thinking, then you can become someone like them or the next Elon Musk. But you right. can't copy Elon Musk or say, how do I become Elon Musk? Because he wouldn't say that. You have to find your own path and your own way, using your own critical thinking, and then connecting the dots the way Steve Jobs said about the past things in your life that you learned that you didn't know why they had relevance. And then you hit that one thing where you get a possible advantage where you had the mindset or the critical thinking that someone else didn't have that was right, non-consensus and right. Boom. Love it. Exactly. Yes. That's, such, <laughs> it's a, that's a great way to finish it because that's so true. I just had another yeah. guest on who talks about um, Steve Jobs and connecting the dots in the past and how it prepares you for you know, a moment only you can be ready for. So I think that's, that's perfect. And it can apply to startups. It can apply to investing. It can apply to anything. So thank you. James, thank you so much for coming on. This was sure, a blast. Appreciate it. Love to have you on again sometime. And I um, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Great. Good luck with all your investments and everything you're doing. And Thank um, thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, James, good luck with everything. And um, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thanks. Awesome. See you, James. See you. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode with James. Uh, as always, a few things to remind you of. All the things we talked about in the episode today, uh, there are links in the show notes, how to follow James, um, the book he recommended, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, as James mentioned in here, he hits on Robinhood. And it's a platform that I talk about a lot as well. It's what I use for most of my investing. And if you're someone who's never gotten into, into investing, or someone who has and wants to find a new platform to use for a variety of reasons, um, you can use the link in the show notes to Robinhood. You get a free stock by signing up. Again, they're not a sponsor. I've mentioned this multiple times, uh, but I use them for me and my wife's investing purposes for most of the things we do. And I think it's a great resource. And then if you want to see what kind of stocks and companies I'm looking at, there's a link to the COVID stock market rebound tracker. It's where I keep updated the companies I'm looking at and following. Uh, as James hinted at, you know, and I will kind of reiterate this, you know, I'm not a, you know, a hedge fund manager. I do not give out financial advice for a living. Um, but these, this is just the investing, you know, company, the companies I'm investing in um, or companies I'm looking to invest in. So always take that with a grain of salt. <clears throat> Excuse me. If anything, really think about uh, you know, the concepts and the ideas and the thought process behind these companies more so than just taking the companies for what, you know, for what they're worth. Um, and then last but not least, I always add a link to whoop. It's, uh, you know, the health and fitness strap that I talk about to an extent. Again, they're also not a pod, a podcast sponsor. 
I just love products that, you know, help me in my life. And I want to share with all of you, my listeners. Um, so if you want to check that out, the link in there in the show notes gets you a free strap and a free month on Whoop. So check it out. Again, thanks, everybody. Uh, if you guys liked this first edition of the Angels series, please let me know. Uh, this is, you know, my third different series that I'm running. I'm really excited about this one. Um, I think this is going to be a really eye-opening series for a lot of people. So let me know what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you loved it, please, you know, leave a review and, uh, you know, most importantly, share it out with your friends. Um, that is what helps grow this podcast more than anything. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, depending on when I record this happy Thanksgiving, happy holiday season as we're about to kick it off. And I will talk to you guys all soon with a new episode. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.